church. So this morning I'll be continuing our theme, which is the parables of Jesus, more than just the story. And the parable that I've chosen is called A Tree and Its Fruit. And this parable is all about the words that we speak. And so while I was preparing this message, while I was, I was thinking about what to present, I actually came across uh, this poster in the hallway just out the back here. It says this, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can hurt me too. And you probably recognise that. That's a, a rewording, I guess, of the popular schoolyard saying that I remember from primary school, which says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I found this quite interesting, really, because this is an acknowledgement, I guess, of the lasting and damaging effects that words can have on people. And in this case, it's part of the school's anti-bullying program. And so contrary to that popular saying that words will never hurt me is the reality, I think, that actually words hold incredible power. And you'll understand what I mean if you've ever been on the receiving end of a message that's meant to hurt. You know, perhaps you've been the recipient of slander. Perhaps people have said things about you that just simply aren't true. Or maybe you've seen the devastating effect that spreading gossip can have on people. And if you've seen those things or if you've experienced them for yourself, I'm sure you'll agree that words are indeed powerful. You know, when used for the wrong reasons, words can hurt families, they can destroy friendships, they can create division in churches, they can crush people's hopes. On the other hand, words can also be a powerful good. You know, our words can make families strong. They can build those friendships. They can create unity in our church and they can give people hope. And so the words, I guess, well, sorry, the power that words have, I think is summarized perfectly in Proverbs 18.21. And it says this on the next slide. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. Our words have the power of life and death. Our words have the power to do immensely good things or immensely bad things. And when I think of the life that our words can bring, I think of things like a counsellor giving hope to someone who's suicidal. I think of teachers inspiring their students to do great things. I think of the encouraging letters that sponsors write to their sponsor children overseas. And in each of those cases, those things bring life because they're done out of love, they're done out of hope, they're done out of faith. You know, and the, the flip side of that is uh, words that bring death. And when I think of words that bring death, I think of things like politicians slandering each other to make themselves look good. I think of people who post conspiracy theories on Facebook out of fear for what the future holds. And I think of people who criticise others to make themselves feel good. You know, the tongue truly does have the power of life and death. Words have the power to build up or to tear down. They have the power to heal or to hurt, the power to deliver or to destroy. And the second part of that proverb is that those who eat those who love it will eat its fruit. And so the result or the consequence of our words can be thought of like fruit. But the fruit that's produced 
will depend on the tree that we've cultivated. Words of life are going to yield good fruit. It's nourishing. It's good for your health. Words of death, on the other hand, yield a bad fruit. It's rotten. It's bitter. It's unproductive. It stifles growth. And it's not good for our health. And so in today's age, actually, our words extend beyond just our face-to-face -face conversations with people and into the online world on social media. Our words can be a post on Facebook or a message sent on Twitter. And so today, I want us to consider what words are coming out of our mouths. Are they words of life or are they words of death? And to help us consider this, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told, which is all about our words. And as Simon described to us um, at the start of this series, you know, parable, parables are short stories and they contain within them a moral teaching. And I guess that's what makes parables distinct from just a regular short story is that they do contain that moral teaching. And Jesus told parables that contained within them settings or people or objects that would be familiar to his audience. And in doing so, he made those parables relatable to his audience. They could picture themselves in those settings. They could picture themselves with those objects or in the place of those people. And those stories became relatable. And so Jesus then uses those familiar things to convey a deeper meaning. And in that sense, you can think of parables like a process of comparison, you know, one that starts with the familiar everyday things that we see in life and know well, and then uses those to lead us towards some sort of deeper understanding. And so today I'm going to show you how Jesus does that with the parable of a tree and its fruit. So we're going to read that together. This comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. And it says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So those verses tell us two things that we might think are quite obvious. The first is that you can recognise the quality of a tree by the quality of the fruit that it produces. It says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. If, has, if a tree has a disease, for example, it will not produce a good fruit. If a tree is healthy, if it's looked after, it will produce a good fruit. The second part is that you can identify the type of tree by looking at the fruit it produces. A fig tree produces figs and grapes come from a grapevine. You know, those things don't come from thorn bushes or briars. And in both of those cases, the point is that the tree and the fruit are linked together. The tree and the fruit are linked together. And the people Jesus told this parable to, they would have understood this well. You know, in Jesus' time, figs and grape were familiar images to them because they were often cultivated together. And they were two of the most common agricultural products. Thorns and thistles, on the other hand, they were also well understood 
but they were always troublesome for farmers. And to help us understand this, I had a look at, I guess, a more modern analogy, which is the European blackberry. And I think this is a good example because it's one that we have all around the ACT and New South Wales. Lots of people love going out and picking blackberries if they haven't been sprayed already. But the European blackberry is actually an introduced species to Australia. And according to the New South Wales government, the European blackberry is considered to be one of the worst weeds in Australia. And the government goes to great lengths to remove these weeds to kill them. And there's a number of reasons why they don't want blackberries growing here. So the first is that they grow really quickly and they take over large areas forming dense, spiky thickets. So if you're a farmer, this leads to reduced productivity on your land. You're reducing the space available for grazing because most livestock won't eat blackberries. With the exception of goats, they simply won't eat them. They also block access to waterways because they like growing along rivers and they block fire trails. From an environmental perspective, they displace native plants and reduce habitats for native animals. At the same time, they actually provide a habitat for pests. So rabbits and foxes will use blackberries for shelter and will actually use them as a food source as well. So in Australia, they infest around 9 million hectares of land. That's 9 million hectares that could be used for productive grazing land, or that's 9 million hectares that could be used to establish native habitats for native animals and plants. And so actually in 2006, a study was done on the economic impact that blackberries have in New South Wales. And from that research, they found that the cost associated with the loss of production and the cost of trying to control the blackberries was estimated at around $100 million. That's a huge amount of money, and that's back in 2006. So you can only imagine that it must be more today. And so when Jesus talks about thorn bushes and briars, we can see that he's talking about a weed. He's talking about something that grows quickly, something that forms dense, spiky thickets that takes over the landscape, something that reduces the productivity of that land and provides shelter for pests. And so what Jesus does next is he takes those familiar images of a fig tree and a thorn bush and he gives them a deeper meaning. He says this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So Jesus is likening those types of plants to what's in people's hearts. He says, are you going to have hearts that are full of fig trees and grapevines? You know, those sorts of things are going to produce a fruit. Those are the good things, the good plants to be cultivating in your heart. Other people's hearts, however, he says, are going to be like thorn bushes and briars. Those are the bad plants to let loose in your heart because they take over the landscape. They form those dense, spiky thickets and they reduce the productivity of your land. And Jesus then explains that the fruit in this parable is your words. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you're cultivating good things in your heart, 
and good things will come out of your mouth. If you're cultivating bad things in your heart, then bad things will come out of your mouth. If you've got fig trees and grapevines, those things will overflow into the words that you say and your words will be fruitful. If you've got thorn bushes and briars in your heart, then you're growing plants that are going to take over the landscape of your heart. They're going to actually choke those other plants that you're trying to grow there. Those plants are going to choke your words. And so I think the main idea that Jesus wants us to get is this. Your heart and your words are linked together, just like a tree and its fruit are linked together. And by looking at the quality of the words and the type of words being spoken, you can determine what's in someone's heart. The heart, as uh, the people in Jesus' time would have understood it, it's a, a figure of speech, I guess you could say, for the place where you contain your morals, your attitudes, and your intentions. And those are the things that, just like your physical heart, they're hidden away from the world. You can't see them from the outside. But because your heart is the source of your thoughts, the source of your words and your actions, you can determine what's in someone's heart by looking at the outworkings of the heart, in particular, people's words and their actions, the outworkings of the heart. And the reason Jesus is teaching people this principle is because he understood that words hold incredible power. You know, Jesus understood that the tongue has the power of life and death. Words have the power to build up or to tear down, the power to heal or to hurt, to deliver or to destroy. And so what this, what, with this parable, Jesus doesn't just warn people about the impact of their words, he's actually tackling the problem at its source, people's hearts. And so really this parable is an invitation to us to consider what's in our hearts and how this affects our words. And so I have an example there on the screen. For example, if our hearts are filled with self-righteousness, then we're going to speak judgmental words. You know, the kind of words that suggest that we're always right, everyone else is always wrong, being quick to point out the sins of others maybe, but not acknowledging our own. You know, taking every opportunity to talk about good deeds, that's a self-righteous heart. If our hearts are filled with ungratefulness, then we're going to speak complaining words verbalizing every little dissatisfaction that we have, you know, saying things like, why does this always happen to me? Nothing ever goes the way I want it to. That's a heart filled with ungratefulness. You know, if our hearts are filled with insecurity, then we'll speak criticizing words, you know, words that make yourself look good at the expense of someone else. You know, you might've heard people say something along the lines of, Oh, how dumb was that question? Now, what they're really saying is, I think I'm smarter than them. Or maybe you've heard someone say, oh, I can't believe what they're wearing today. You know, what they're really saying is that I think I'm stylish and sophisticated. And so that's, that's a heart filled with insecurity. Yeah, so when our hearts are filled with insecurity, then we'll speak words that are criticizing words, words that make yourself look good at the expense of someone else. And so in all of these cases, 
what we're trying to make ourselves feel is, is better about ourselves, really. That maybe if we point out the flaws of other people, if we complain about what's happening to us or criticise others, that somehow we'll feel better for it. But the reality is that any satisfaction we get from these sorts of things is fleeting. And obviously none of these things produce fruit. In fact, they're all examples that thorns have taken hold on the landscape of our heart. And the list goes on. There are lots of things that I haven't mentioned there that could be in people's hearts. You know, things like worry, greed, lust. All of those things, if they've taken root there, they eventually express themselves in the words that people say. And so here's the alternative to that. The alternative is a heart filled with love, hope, and faith. From a heart filled with love, we can speak words of grace because we know that we're loved. From a heart filled with hope, we can speak words that are joyful because we know what the future holds. And from a heart filled with faith, we can speak words that are truthful because we have that profound understanding of what the truth is. And that's why this parable is more than just a story. That's the, the theme for this series, more than just a story. This is more than just a story because it's more than just good advice or just a simple observation that words have their origins in our heart. It's actually a clear example of how God expects us to act as Christians. God expects our words to be like fruit, nourishing, allowing growth, good for people's health. God expects us to act this way because we are his representatives here on earth. We are the body of Christ. We're that physical representation of Jesus to other people. And as a church, as God's representatives, we are called to reach out to the lost, the broken and the hurting. And one of the ways we can do that is with the words that we speak. It might sound like a simple thing to do, but it is powerful because fruitful words spoken from a heart filled with faith, hope and love can make a change in people's lives. And while I was putting this together, I had to realise actually that just to tell people to fill their hearts with these things is not enough. It's not enough to say that we need to fill our hearts with these things because the reality is that but we need help to change what's in our hearts. We need help to get rid of the thorns and the briars. And a lot of popular psychology, online influences, they'll tell you to, you know, the way that you bring about change is to look inside yourself. You might have heard that before. You need to look inside yourself to bring about change. And my reply to that is always, well, what if what's inside you is a landscape of thorn bushes and briars? How do you bring about that change and turn that landscape into orchards of fig trees and grapevines. And I would suggest to you that looking inside yourself is perhaps a good starting place. You know, it lets you identify the problem, but the solution, I think, has to come from somewhere else. It requires something that has life-giving power. And I would argue that the only lasting and sure way to change what's in our hearts is to invite God's word into it. In John 1, 1, it says, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And by taking sorry, or inviting the word into your hearts, you can bring about change. And Jesus is the word because he is the one who represents God's invisible nature to us 
I think that's an amazing revelation to have. Jesus is the word because he's the one who represents God's invisible nature to us. Just as your spoken words are a physical manifestation of what's hidden away in your heart, Jesus is a physical representation of the invisible God. And the Gospel of John says this, it says that that physical representation, Jesus carries with it the truth and the life and the words of eternal life. And not only that, but the Gospel of John also tells us that the word was there in the beginning, creating life where it didn't exist before. And so it's worth considering this. It's worth considering that if the word was there in the beginning, creating everything that we see in creation, then the word has the power to create life in your heart. If the word became a man and lived among us and suffered with us, then actually the word understands our needs, understands the desires and the pains that exist in our heart. And if the word died on a cross and rose again, conquering sin and death, then the word has the power to conquer the sin and the death that exist in your heart, the power to conquer the death on your tongue. And I think this is what God wants for us. God wants to transform our hearts. God wants to empower us to speak words that are fruitful. But we have to invite Jesus into our hearts, you know, because he is the only one with the power to uproot the thorn bushes and the briars that have taken root there. And what he replaces them with is so much better than what we had before. Things like love, hope, and faith. From our renewed hearts that are filled with love, we're empowered to speak words that are graceful. From our renewed hearts filled with hope, we are empowered to speak words that are joyful. From our renewed hearts filled with faith, we are empowered to speak words that are truthful. We'll be empowered to speak life-giving words and fruitful words to a world that I think really needs to hear it. You know, we'll be empowered to say things that bring life to people who are lost, broken and hurting. You know, things like, you matter to me. You were created for a purpose. God loves you and you are incredibly valuable to him. Those are the words that this world really needs to hear. And so just to summarise a few of those points, these are the things that I hope that you take away with you, that you meditate on during the week and really ponder its deeper meaning. The first is that words hold incredible power. You know, Proverbs tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. Words can build up or tear down, heal or hurt, deliver or destroy. The second point there is that we've looked at the parable of a tree and its fruit. And in this parable, Jesus is inviting us to consider what's in our hearts and how that affects the words that we say. And in that self-reflection, I think we all have to acknowledge that none of us are perfect and that we need help creating that life, creating those orchards of fig trees and grapevines. And the way to do that is by inviting God's word into our hearts. And the, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the word. Jesus is the one who has that power to change what's in our hearts. And so just one final thought 
is that our world is full of words of death. You know, words spoken from hearts that are filled with thorn bushes and briars, people complaining, slandering, gossiping, criticizing. Let's choose not to join them. Instead, let's choose to have our hearts transformed by the life-giving power of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning and invite you into our hearts. Jesus, we are so thankful for the life-giving power that you possess, and we invite you in this morning to uproot those thorn bushes and those briars, Lord, and to plant an orchard of fig trees and grapevines. We invite you into our hearts, Lord, to fill them with love, hope, and faith, empowering us, Lord, to speak words that are fruitful to a world that really needs to hear them. Speaking words of life, Lord, to the lost, the broken, and the hurting. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen.